faith. I love, uh, we as a staff, like talk about this all the time, like how do we make sure we're creating environments that people can take next steps? How do we make sure we're creating environments where people feel safe to ask questions and have uh, such a huge level of curiosity about their faith? And, uh, um, <clears throat> but we also want to be uh, very aware of what we're trying to make a process towards. This isn't just a process towards believing, uh, which believing is important. This is a process towards uh, being devoted to following Jesus, and that there's a very different uh, there's a very different end game when you think about being devoted to following Jesus versus um, just simply believing. And so uh, this whole series, we've been uh, talking about some things that are, are hopefully building a deeper foundation, a stronger foundation uh, to who we are. And uh, and so we've talked about the fear of the Lord. We talked about working our uh, faith out with fear and trembling. We've talked about um, the reality of this being such a sacred uh, thing that we're doing here, uh, not just on Sundays, but being part of the church community is such a sacred uh, thing. We've talked about having high expectations, that God's expectations, you know, for his church. Uh, last week, we talked so much about uh, generosity, and, and we've also talked about not making this thing common, like that we don't ever want to take the Lord's name uh, in vain. And uh, this week uh, was an interesting week of, of preparation because I had um, severe writer's block, um, or preacher's block, I don't know what it's called, but like uh, where I sat um, day after day and could not put a sermon together. Uh, I couldn't like figure it out, I couldn't like, I literally, I would pray and I would walk and pray and then I'd pray some more and then be nothing. I would uh, change rooms, be like, surely if I just change rooms, like that will spark something. Uh, that didn't work. I would work out and pray, that didn't work. I would try, I would sing songs and that didn't work. And even on Thursday afternoon, uh, some folks were uh, on staff were in there like, how's it coming? And I'm like, not. I mean, well, we're going to get there, I think. I don't know. If not, um, I'll just pull like the old charismatic preacher and be like, hey, we're just going to sing today. You know, um, or I don't know, you guys are, how many guys have seen Bull Durham, that movie? I don't know. Anyone? Well, it's, it's, well, I'm not recommending it, but it's one of my favorite movies. But like there, there's a scene in there where they've been playing for like weeks and it was like hot summer weather and, and uh, Kevin Costner, like the players were like, complaining and he was like, we need a rain out. And he's like, I can get you a rain out. So even like today, like at one point, Joe was like, oh, maybe we'll get, the storm will come. We'll get a rain out. I'm like, I don't know. But, um, but here's what ended up happening. Um, there has been something that has been on my heart when I, when, I, when I paused and really began reflecting on just where we are as a church, um, even reflecting on my uh, sabbatical time, like what was the most common thing that was coming up in, in my heart. And, uh, and even last week, um, we, we sang a song uh, about the presence of God. And uh, that's been something that has been just gripping my soul um, for a, a while now. And, um, and as I sat back, I was like, you know, I think this is what God wants me to talk about this week. And, and to understand, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, or if you're just kind of entering into this faith thing, um, there's this beauty about the presence of God. And you know when you're in it. But you also know when you're justifying or denying it. And, um, and, and some of it's like, it's an intangible thing. Like you, it's like you can't, you can't figure it out sometimes. Like, but I know when I'm, when I'm in it, but I also know like when I'm living my life and I'm thinking about my life in a way that I'm trying to justify not being in it. 
and, uh, or just flat out denying it. And you see it in your relationships, you see it in your perspective, you see it um, in the way that you engage with, um, like in God, you, you just see it in so many different ways. Um, even sometimes when we get to this space of, of uh, how many of you guys have ever been mad at God? It's okay, like, he's not gonna like smite you, like or anything, like um, <clears throat> have moments of being mad at God. He's not um, upset when you're mad at him. Um, but it is interesting there's a difference between trying to be in the presence of God and, and, and voicing our, our anger with God, like being in his presence, versus stepping out of his presence and being mad at God. And so um, this whole presence of God thing, again, this is all brand new. I, I'm going to do something that I don't always do. Um, I just occasionally do this, but I'm going to take us like, through a little journey of the Bible <clears throat> because I want you to see something really significant um, with this, how, how the Bible tells this larger story that we're all linked into. And so we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. And so again, um, this might feel a little overwhelming if you're not familiar with your Bible, but I promise, like, at the end of the day, what I want you to see is that your life is so significant and that you are part of this massive story and not just something brand new in your years of life. I'm talking this massive story of humanity that the God of all creation is inviting into, he's inviting you into his presence. And he wants you there. And, um, and, and, and for those of you that are familiar with your Bible, some of the passages that we'll go through today are gonna be, they're gonna be familiar to you. And, and uh, maybe I, I might point out a couple of things that might enlighten some stuff. But um, <clears throat> what I hope for you guys is that there'll be this renewed desire for his presence. Not... Um, to like, to have this like deep inside your soul to just long for the presence of God, to be devoted to that, not just to come in and casually engage, but to, to long for the presence of God in such a way that it grips your heart like nothing else can and allows you to see life like you're supposed to. And so um, the, the passage, or the thing that um, actually first I wrote down, this is the first line I wrote down um, in my notes this week was this, is that there's always a promise that is fulfilled in his presence. There's always a promise that is fulfilled in his presence. And when, um, anytime we're in the presence of God, there's, there is a promise that he has for us in some kind of capacity. And we're gonna run through a bunch of promises today that he's got for you. And for us to engage. And I began to think about how in, you know, the first part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about the, the spirit of God hovering over the waters um, and calms the chaos and allows new creation to happen. And uh, that the spirit of God, the presence of God, um, begins this, this, this process. And of course, humanity comes in and, and all that stuff. And in that the Bible represents this whole garden theme the Garden of Eden. And in that is this idea that in the presence of God, it, you experience heaven and earth. That's what you experience. You experience this fullness. You experience this hope. You, you experience something that you can only experience in the presence of God. You, you cannot experience it anywhere else. There's this deep level um, of engagement with the creator of this universe, the creator of all things, that you can only find with him. And it starts off, that's how the Bible starts off, and it, it gets fractured, and there's a lot that happens. <clears throat> but I was thinking about this one part of the story where this guy named Abraham, it starts in Genesis chapter 12, that God talks to this guy named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he says, listen, um, I know you don't have any kids yet, but I'm gonna promise you 
that you're going to have generations and generations of kids. And I'm going to build my kingdom through you. And it wasn't just the kingdom of just a small grouping of people that became known as the Israelites. It wasn't just them. That this kingdom is, is, is like for everybody. And he, that God wants to build this kingdom through Abraham. Abraham has this moment. He engages in, uh, he's in the presence of God and he, he engages God and, and believes in this promise. And, and then um, there comes a point where he stops trusting in the promises of God. Um, how many guys have had that before? Like you believe on one end, but then you stop trusting, right? You felt that. So Abraham doesn't um, think that God's going to come through with this whole kid thing. And so he decides to take matters into his own hands, and he has this slave woman named um, Hagar, who, um, interestingly enough, Hagar is the first person in all of Scripture to name God. It's this beautiful picture of this slave woman, Hagar, who um, was actually abused and sexually mistreated, sexually abused by, um, by Abraham, because he took her. That was not the way things were supposed to work. And Abraham took her and had sex with her, and, and she gets pregnant. And in the midst of all of this, and in this battle that ends up happening between Abraham's wife, Sarah, and, and, and uh, Hagar, and then Abraham, and it becomes this, this weird triangle of stuff, and um, and ends up happening is, is Hagar, who's this oppressed woman, um, who her superior did something to her, this oppressed woman um, has this moment where she feels like she's lost everything. And then we see it here in Genesis 16, 13. It says this. She's with the Lord. And she says, she gave this name to the Lord. You are the God who what? For she said, I have now seen the one. I'm in his presence. And he sees me. In reading that story um, multiple times this week, I... I was just like, oh, man. This is, we forget this part, I think. That being in the presence of God allows us to be fully seen. Um, the way I wrote it down was this, that in his presence we are fully known. Um, and I wanted to actually pause here because I want to pray for, um, for people in this room today who don't feel seen. Um, who don't feel known, who um, have maybe had something stripped from them that has ruined their lives and has like brought a level of suffering that you never thought you'd be going through. And, and um, we were singing that song, Jaira, which, you know, Jaira just means oh, my God provides. And um, I was just sitting there, I was just, I was just thinking like, oh man, to sing that you're more than enough. Um, for some folks in the room, that was hard to sing because it's been such a tough season. So I want to pray um, right now for anyone who's just experiencing that. Will you bow your heads? God, there's a level of um, hurt that can happen in life where um, sometimes it's from our own decisions and there are consequences for those decisions. But other times, it's from what other people have done to us. And um, God, I know in this room today that there are people that are holding on to a level of shame that has just, like, hurt their hearts. And, um, and so they hide. 
They don't want to be vulnerable about, it, vulnerable about it because they're scared. Maybe they um, have started to take it out on other people, but, but ultimately they, f- they feel lost. They feel like alone. They feel like there's no one there for them, and they may not have any hope. God, I pray that um, today and even in this moment that they would know that you see them. That you are the God who sees. And that in your presence, we can be fully known. And that promise can be fulfilled. In your name, amen. And so the story of the Bible is fascinating because um, sometimes we... we think of the Bible as this like male-dominated thing and, and the patriarchal conversation and everything, but it's always fascinating to me that when you actually begin to engage the scripture, <laughs> you start seeing a whole different story. And it's like, man, in a male-dominated culture, here's what is written in the very first part of Genesis, that the first woman, an oppressed woman, is the one who names God. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's the God who sees the story, um, one of the other stories that comes up soon after that is the story of Exodus, and God frees his people, and Moses, who's leading these Israelites, who are God's chosen people, um, he's leading these Israelites, and he comes up on this burning bush, and this bush is like, if you can imagine walking up on a burning bush that doesn't seem to be going on, it's just in the middle of nothing, and you have no idea how it had started to burn in the first place, you yourself would wonder should I talk to this bush? So something like something here is significantly going on, right? And so Moses comes up to this burning bush that's just going like crazy and, um, and he encounters the presence of God. In the Nexus chapter three, we, we see this and um, he experiences the glory of God in that moment. And then when you ever see the term glory in scripture, um, I want you to, to, to think of it as like the weight of who God is. Like that's, like you just, his glory. And so his glory was so much that like, like Moses like comes up on this bush and, and, and the bush actually speaks to him. I know it's, it's, it's a weird story, but like the, the, the bush happens and like Moses like hides his face because he just, he's like, man, the glory of God is so much. Like it, it just makes me want to hide his face. But there's also something like, so he's drawn into it. And there's this deep reverence and awe to, to what's happening there. Moses begins this storyline with God and, and, and what God wants to do through Moses. And, uh, but there's, again, there's a, the presence is something overwhelming. And, and look what, uh, here's another picture of God's presence. And I want you to see this. So you see the burning bush, but then there's this other point where God's presence um, kind of overwhelms things. And it's on Mount Sinai. A lot of things happen on Mount Sinai. But it says it was covered with smoke. And I just want you to see these familiar terms. Because the Lord descended on it in what? Say it again. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Okay, so this presence of the God, presence of God, like sometimes um, we think of like presence of God as like snuggling up to it, and there is a comfort in it. But there's also this piece where it's like, well, hold on a second. The presence of God is also like this wind. It can feel like this, like like trembling element that makes us in like fear and awe. You see so many things where in scripture where like when people encounter the presence of God, the first thing that they do is they fall on their face. 
because they're so overwhelmed by it. I started thinking about it. I was like, man, do we have an awe for the presence of God like that? Have you ever thought to yourself, like in a moment of like, I mean, it feels like the only thing I could do here would just be get on my knees and fall on my face because the presence of God is so overwhelming. And I have such awe and uh, reverence for it. And so this, this whole thing happens. And, and what God wants to do, here's what's fascinating with his people and with his presence. What God wants to do is this. He says to the people, he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, so all the people that are around, you will be my treasured possession. But he says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so um, there's this thing where um, we see that God, what God wants to do is he wants to build a kingdom. And uh, of course, of course, like our personal faith matters, but he wants to, to build a kingdom, not just have a, a few people that are priests. He's like, I want a kingdom of priests. And priests enter people into the presence of God. And he's like, I, I want a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests, not just people kind of casually. I mean, a kingdom of priests. And I want all nations, I want, I want like all people involved in this, and that's what I'm building here, and that's what I want people to experience, like when they're in my presence, that the kingdom is what comes out. When they're in my presence, it's like the people that are devoted to me, who obey me, who keep my covenant, when they experience my presence, man, and they are devoted to who I am, you become one of these priests, one of these kingdom of priests. You represent who God is. You usher others into the presence of God. He's like, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see in my, my people and those who, who follow me and those who want to engage my presence. He isn't saying the literal land of Israel is the holy nation, right? He, he's saying that, you know, these people, like it's my kingdom. He's like, I got the whole earth anyway, y'all. It's all mine. And so he's like, this is what it looks like. It's like to be a holy nation, to be people in my presence. And so what he does is he's like, man, here's what I'm going to do. You read this a little bit later in the story. He's like, he's like um, I've been around you, and I know sometimes people get um, overwhelmed by my glory and my presence, and I'm going like, to make this a little bit easier, so to speak, for you guys. And so I'm going to create this thing called the tabernacle. We've talked about this, the Ark of the Covenant. And that these ta- the tabernacle would house the presence of God, and they would take this tabernacle with them. And whatever the tabernacle was, they experienced the fruit of who God was. They experienced his presence. They experienced something that they couldn't experience without him, and which was this that in his presence, people find their purpose. And so you become fully known, but you also begin to understand that in his presence, I, I get to find my purpose. And whenever the presence of God left people, they left their purpose. And so sometimes I think when we're floundering about and we're wondering what should I do and who should I be and where should I go and what are all these other things, right? It's like maybe the question isn't who should I be or what should I do, the question should be, am I actually in the presence of God? Am I fighting for that? Am I designing my life for that? Because that's where I find my purpose. So this tabernacle happens, and, um, and then after that, this king guy named King David, who some of you guys um, <coughs> have known of the story of David and Goliath. David becomes king, and, uh, and he, he's got a heart um, after, it says he's got a, the heart, it's after God owns heart. But at the same time, like, he was a mess, right? Like, if you know the story of David, he made some horrible, horrible decisions. Like, when people are like, we need more King Davids, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, he did some really bad things. I'm not so sure that we need more Davids. And, um, 
And, and, but what ended up happening is, is David comes on the scene and, and he's like, man, I, I want to build a house for this tabernacle, this presence of God, because look at my palace. Why would this thing be in a box? And so he's like, I need to build a house. So he makes all these plans. But God says to David, he's like, listen, here's the deal. Um, you can't build the temple because my house, my temple, it transitions from the tabernacle to the temple, but my house can't be associated with all of your bloodshed. I can't, my name, my people, my, 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 where my presence is can't be associated with war and it can't be associated with the violence and it can't be associated with all the bloodshed that you've done. And so David's like, okay, well, who's going to do it? And then he's like, my son Solomon. Like, that's who's going to do it, right? And so God gives Solomon this wisdom, and then David hands over the plans, and, and then Solomon goes to build the temple. And he builds this incredible temple. And um, on the same spot, this is a little fun fact, on the same spot where that sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac happened, like, that's where, that's where Solomon builds the temple. And so Solomon builds this temple, and, um, and here's what happens in 2 Chronicles 7. I want you to see if you see anything familiar here. When Solomon finished praying, what came down? Huh, there's that fire word again. From heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And, look, and what else came? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple because of the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God and gave thanks, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. And so here's this moment where they're like, so many other things could have been said, so many things could have been prayed. Um, they had gone through the wilderness, they've gone through all these wars, they've gone through all these other things. And man, the only thing in the presence of God, the only thing when the glory of God comes down in your life, the only thing that you can possibly think of is like, his love endures forever. They had their moments of doubt, they had their moments of anger, they had their moments of complaining, they had their moments of wanting to quit, they had all these other moments, but in the presence of God and experiencing the glory of God, that they wanted to put their faces on the ground and they just wanted to say... His love endures forever. And that began to reshape who they were. And, and, and here's what we begin to see, that in his presence there is humble worship. There is a humility as we approach God. Have you, I mean, have you ever, I mean, have you ever, like, when you started to, like, sing, and there's a lot of different forms of worship, but, you know, I talk singing. Have you ever, like, paused for a second and been like, I am singing to the God of all things. I'm just saying, like, like, you are enough. We're going to sing Firm Foundation at the end, we're, and we're going to, like, that we're anchored to this thing. Like, do you understand you're saying that to the God of all creation? And isn't it fascinating that sometimes we just casually engage that, all of us, sometimes casually, right? Even the, the, even the best-hearted worship person in this room sometimes get, engages God casually. But can you imagine, like, it's like, having that kind of heart, that humility to engage, just after that passage, it says this. And now, you might have heard, um, some, you might have seen someone post this, like, a lot of times this happens during political seasons. Um, they post this, Second Chronicles 7, they say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And they're like, that's what needs to happen in America, right? And it's like, sorry, that's not actually what this is talking about. 
He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever and my eyes and heart will always be there. I want you to remember that because this is going to come back to us at the end of this message. And so he says, hold on. Here's what my people are supposed to do. My people in humility are supposed to engage me in such a way that it's like when my people, meaning all of my people who call themselves followers of me, they're supposed to be devoted to me, when they humble themselves, when they do certain things, like then my eyes and ears are open. When you try and use God as a little vending machine, he's not interested. Man, in the presence of God, something else starts to happen. In the presence of God, there's confession and repentance. That we don't want to approach God with pride. We don't want to approach God um, with anything but saying like, man, in my heart, God, you know what's going on in here anyway, and I want to confess, and I want to repent. And repenting is just turning away and going back to right relationship with God. Like, that's what I want. I don't want to do this whole thing on my own. Here's what started to happen. Um, the people um, never uh, fully got it. And so here's what they started to do. And like, just, if this sounds familiar, just say amen when I'm done. Um, here's what they started to do. Politically, spiritually, sexually, monetarily, communally, they started to ignore his presence and did whatever they want. Does that sound like 2022? What does that show us? That we're ignoring the presence of God. And so this whole thing needs to be flipped a little bit further. And so that's when we enter into this story about Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene. And I want you to see something that's so significant. Because Jesus flips so many things, right? Like Jesus comes in. And, and what does Jesus talk about? He says, why am I here? He's like, I'm telling you, I'm here. Like, I'm building the kingdom, right? Like, that's part, like I want you to know what the kingdom is like. I'm, I'm here to, to die and to, to rise again, right? And, and overcome sin and, and all that stuff. And it's like, I'm, I'm here but Jesus is something like just incredibly flips everything. And, and the writers try to clue us into this large story. All right. So in this large story, in John 1, 14, look what it says. That the word, this means Jesus here. All right. So that's Jesus. Became flesh and made his dwelling. Guess what word this is? Tabernacle. Oops. Tabernacle. The dwelling. So he's like, the writer here, John's like, let me cue you into the story that's been the story for this whole time for my people. That Jesus comes in and tabernacles. And he's here and he's, he's with us. And we have seen, look at this, his glory. And the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so John's saying right off the top, he's like, remember what you, because Jewish listeners would have been hearing this and they would have known all about tabernacling and glory and all that stuff. He's like, let me tell you about Jesus that's so significant. Remember the whole tabernacle thing and the temple thing? Um, that's Jesus. And he's fulfilling all of that. Uh, remember the whole glory of the Lord thing? That's Jesus. So when you see Jesus, you see God. And all of a sudden, the weight of everything with Jesus comes a little more clear. And so to follow Jesus then becomes a little bit more of a big deal. And Jesus himself comes on the scene. He says, the spirit of the Lord here, so that's just his presence. That's what it means. The spirit of the Lord is on me because I've been anointed 
because uh, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he gets up and here's what happens. He, he, a little precursor, he, he came in and he just unrolls this scroll and he starts reading these words from the prophet Isaiah. And it's in front of all these religious people and like people didn't do what Jesus just did. Like you just don't, you don't just like walk up and like, you know what, I got this today, I'll read. And, um, but he unrolls this scroll and he reads these words, right? And he makes this claim. And then he, he says, he rolled the scroll, he, so he rolls it back up, he gives it back to the attendant, then the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are on him. So, so picture this. He comes in and does something that he shouldn't have done, that people didn't do. He reads a word from Isaiah, which would have been the reading for that day, which is this powerful word about the Savior of, like, the Savior of all things and what that Savior is going to do. And people are like, who is this dude? And so all eyes are on him, and then he sits down in a chair and then says this. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if he leaned back and was like, I don't know what he did. But imagine, he's like, uh, that's me. That's me, like in your presence. This is what you're experiencing. And so here's what we begin to see, that in his presence there is freedom. Jesus kept saying all the time, he's like, my, my people will be free. Um, when it talks about in John chapter 8, he says, um, if you know the truth, and the truth will set you what? all about this freedom that we can experience in Christ. When we don't feel free in Christ, it's because we're trying to be devoted to something else besides Christ. When we don't feel free in Christ, it's because we're trying to do things on our own. But in his presence, that humble worship, in his presence, we start seeing things differently. In his presence, we become known. In his presence, we start um, finding our purpose. In his presence, there is freedom in who we were designed to be. Church starts. Jesus dies and he rises again. And the church starts. And it starts in this powerful way. And, 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 and some of you guys know this story. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And so they're all together just like waiting. They're patiently waiting. Let me pause there for a second. In Matthew chapter 5, 5, it says, the blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that word meek is the, um, one of the things that the word meek can mean is that those that patiently wait and trust. So here are these meek people, patiently waiting, all together in one place. Suddenly, now see if this language sounds vaguely familiar from what we've read so far. Suddenly a sound like blowing a violent wind. There's Mount Sinai and there's a temple at 2 Chronicles 7 that we've just read about came from the heaven and filled the whole house, right? Like it filled the temple where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of what? Huh, we've heard this before. That separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me pause there before I read the rest of that passage. And so they come and speak in other tongues. It said that word for tongues right there in that instance was that they began to speak in the languages of the people that were outside of them. So imagine this. 
Um, there's thousands of people gathered outside because it was a, um, a festival that was happening there that all the people were gathering. And so this powerful move of the Spirit comes out, and they begin to speak in other languages. And so here's what they're saying. That, like, Peter and, and John and James and all these other folks and all the women that were there, um, all of a sudden, let's just say uh, this group over here spoke Spanish, right? Um, all of a sudden, they never spoke Spanish before. They only knew, like, Hebrew and maybe some Greek. And so they, they were like, they, all of a sudden, they were like, hola, como estas? So, like, it's like all of a sudden, like, this something, like, happened. They're like, this never happened before, but all of a sudden, they knew how to speak. There was this kind of power. Now, does stuff like this still happen today? And I would say, yes, you actually hear it from missionaries. Um, we've heard stories from missionaries that they have gone to native lands and did not know the native language, that something happened to them and began to speak the language of the people. I know. I know some of y'all are like, hold on a second. I get it. I'm not saying it's normative. I'm just saying that the power of God came out in such a way, why? They began to speak in the language of other people so that they could share. It wasn't about the power that they were experiencing. It was about the ability to share the gospel of who Jesus was. That was the point. The point was not to speak in another language. The point was to share the gospel, share who Jesus was. Peter then like, comes out like afterwards. He says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God begins to dwell inside of you. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. It's not just for a select grouping of people. It's for everybody. For the Lord, for uh, whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. That is the same language as 2 Chronicles 7 at the end where he says, if my people will humble themselves. Peter is just, he's just saying it in a different way. And he begin to experience presence of God in our lives. And so when we talk about baptism, it's like, should I be baptized? The answer is yes. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you should be baptized. Well, why do I get baptized? It's a significant moment of saying, I proclaim who my faith is in. I pledge allegiance to Jesus. And I want to share this story about the significant life change I want, that, I, that I confessed and repented of, and I want to follow and be devoted to Jesus, and I want to make that proclamation publicly to everyone here around me. So when we say, hey, like, sign up for baptisms, and like, do, if you, like, haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. You should. Because you become visual evidence of the change that God has made in your life. And your story starts telling a story of who Jesus is to other people. So here's what happens here. In his presence, there is power. There will be power. Listen, if you're not living your life, in the presence of God, I promise you, you are not living your life with as much power as God wants you to have. Will miracles happen? I don't know. Will signs of wonder? I don't know. But man, he's got some power for your life that you're not tapping into if you're avoiding his presence. Here's the last part in that same chapter. Here's what they did. So these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, meaning coming together, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another in need. So it's just saying that the generosity that ends up happening, that the presence of God, so last week we talked about generosity, but in the presence of God, you have no choice but to be generous. You literally can't do anything about it. The presence of God, 
you, you are a generous person. Like, it, it just, it goes hand in hand. If you're not a generous person, you're not living in the presence of God. And, and, and this is what we're seeing. He says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They're raising a hallelujah, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily. In the presence of God, become generous people, become answer to people's prayers. The Lord will add to that number daily. The Lord will add to that number. And here's where you get to get started to see the signs and wonders and some things that leave people in awe. It can be little things, it can be big things. So why does all this matter? It all matters because um, without living in the presence of God and setting him as our firm foundation, um, we don't get any of these things. We don't get any of these promises. We don't get this list. Look at this list. We don't get to be fully known. We don't get to find our purpose. We will live with pride rather than humility. We don't get to have this intimate connection with God because of confessing and repenting hearts. We won't find the freedom that we have. We won't have power and we'll never prioritize his kingdom because we'll be prioritizing our own. But in the presence of God, all of these promises become true. All of these promises become who you were designed to be. Band, you guys can come back up. I want to leave you with this last scripture passage because after you just heard all of this about the tabernacle and the temple and the presence of the spirit and all this other stuff, look what Paul writes to the Christians. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit tabernacles in your midst. So when people encounter a grouping of people, we're supposed to, who are we supposed to be? We are supposed to be the presence of God to people. We are not the presence of God, but we represent it. Why? Because God's presence is supposed to fill us. If we want to. You guys bow your heads. God, as we're about to sing this last song, um, hmm. about being a firm foundation and what we're going to anchor our life to, I pray that before we stand, we would get our hearts in a place that understand that with such humility and awe of who you are, that we get a chance to sing to the creator of all things. God, I pray that your glory and your presence will begin to overwhelm us. And that the words that we're, about, that we're about to sing will actually become true. And to know that in your presence, we are made whole. In your presence, we get to experience all the promises that you've given to us. Please stand and sing this song.